and establish TVA as a viable competitor. Lilienthal's political connections were essential. At every stage of its early development, TVA's very existence as an autonomous government enterprise was under siege from the investor-owned utility industry, jealous members of Congress, a domineering Secretary of the Interior, and a rogue chairman. Lilienthal managed to outflank and deflect them all— but ultimately presided over an institution that resembled more and more the vertically integrated private utilities it was designed to displace. TVA was not the only arrow in President Roosevelt's public power quiver. Bonneville Power Administration, BPA, he thought, would serve the same purpose for the Pacific Northwest, unlocking the low-cost power potential of the Columbia River. But there was a major structural difference— Unlike TVA, which Republican opponents in Congress did not wish to recreate elsewhere, BPA was not a freestanding government utility. It served instead as a marketing agency for hydroelectric power from dams built by the Corps of Engineers and remained under the thumb of the Secretary of the Interior. Although it built a network of transmission lines and sold cheap power to preference customers in competition with private utilities, BPA could not generate its own power. In the 1970s, BPA foresaw a power shortage and embarked on an ill-considered thermal expansion program. BPA needed a surrogate to own and construct the nuclear generating plants it planned and used an association of municipal utilities, Washington Public Power Supply System, WPPSS, for that purpose. Two dysfunctional command-and-control government bureaucracies, one federal and the other local, then interacted to mount a disastrous multi-project construction program financed by WPPSS municipal bonds sold to small investors in much the same way as Insul had sold holding company securities to clerks, foremen, and company employees many years before. Under Don Hodel, BPA ignored warnings that the expected power shortage was a mirage— and, prodded by its overseer in Washington, D.C., pushed forward relentlessly. The program went spectacularly awry. As costs mounted, all but one of the planned nuclear plants had to be abandoned and scrapped, and WPPSS defaulted on the bonds it had issued, imposing huge losses on bondholders and ratepayers. Top-down monopoly control, whether exercised by private or government ownership, revealed common flaws of political capitalism, the arrogance of overweening managerial ambition, and in BPA's case, an absence of grassroots and competitive constraints. Ensel's industry paradigm, vertically integrated and legally sanctioned utility monopolies operating large-scale remote power stations and long transmission lines, proved remarkably resistant to change. By the 1980s, market-oriented scholars in academia seriously questioned the prevailing model, characterized by inefficiency, high-administered prices, and failed nuclear projects. While transmission and distribution remained natural monopolies, generation of power was seen as ripe for competition. Paul Josko, then an MIT economist, envisioned a restructured electric utility industry in which customers could bid for electricity from competitive suppliers and have it transported at fair rates over transmission lines free from monopoly control. An independent operator would run the lines and make a competitive real-time and day-ahead power market at marginal cost. Josco's 1983 book, Markets for Power, 
Anticipated by more than a decade, the changes that actually reshaped much of the nation's utility industry, first in California and then federally. But Josco was a student of institutional complexity, not simply a theoretician, and foresaw many of the practical difficulties restructuring would entail. Making his blueprint work, he cautioned, would require an exercise of industry smarts, sound oversight, and political will, none of which was in evidence as the badly designed and easily manipulated California market imploded. After that extraordinary failure, a competitive market for electric power seemed a cruel oxymoron, but nonetheless gained traction at the utility group PJM and elsewhere as an alternative to historic command-and-control price regulation. Ken Lay, like Insul, was an empire builder, driven by extreme ambition and ego. He consolidated prosaic...